Just visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They are creating businesses that really add value to others, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with Chris Cooper. If you're looking for ways to develop your entrepreneurial spirit while you contribute to a better world, you'll want to stay tuned for the next hour. Now, here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi there, this is Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com and uh, great to be back again uh, with you this week. Uh, I'd like to first start by saying thank you very much to Bob Nichols who joined us last week to talk about how to achieve trusted advisor status and very best wishes to him and his family. It was great to have you on the show last week, Bob. Um, so today, something completely different and uh, more thanks to uh, a few people, Tacey Trump, Lisa Blanchard, Pattenden and Michelle Clark, who all asked questions to, to, to put to today's guest, Cathy O'Dowd, via my Facebook page this week. Um, so please, if you want to ask questions about future shows, etc., please do connect with me on, on Facebook, either my personal page, Christy Cooper One, or, um, or on the Be More, Achieve More uh, uh, business pages. So maybe you're wondering how to get the best out of yourself and others on your journey right now. Or perhaps you've already achieved everything that you set out to do and you're wondering what adventures are next and you're looking for some inspiration. Now, I don't know about you, I've always had a sense of adventure. Um, however, less extreme activities today than our guest, um, like marathon running and trekking and things like that. But uh, I must admit, over the last few years, I've taken a back step uh, and focused my time on bringing up a young family. We've had some fascinating guests during the show, um, such as Kathy Tracy, who uh, rode the Atlantic, uh, twice world champion row Meta Block, and also Nigel Vardy, whose love of climbing resulted in severe, severe implications from frostbite injury. Um, our best wishes are with him this week for a very swift recovery after a painful foot surgery due to the severe frostbite he experienced while climbing Mount McKinley over 13 years ago. So let's focus on today's guest. Cathy O'Dowd was the first woman ever to climb Mount Everest from both north and south sides and therefore knows more about reaching new heights of achievement and altitude on earth than almost any other person. With a desire to achieve more, she's always finding new ways to challenge herself both physically and mentally. Whether planning a new adventure or sharing her experiences as an internationally acclaimed speaker and author, Kathy has been on Mount Everest as the last-minute token woman team member and also as an expedition leader. She's worked in partnership with a wide range of international teams and climbed on a team attempting a new route, the only expedition on the entire East Face. She survived the worst storm in the history of Everest and faced warring team members as egos ran rampant. And she's experienced both the thrill of the summit and the reality of failure, and has paid the ultimate price with the loss of fellow members. Cathy draws on a wide range of experience of teams under acute pressure, 
um, attempting overwhelming challenges in her work with corporations. And her talk stories touch really on themes of importance to anyone who's trying to get the best out of people. Cathy remains an active adventurer with two major expeditions coming in, up in 2012, uh, very exciting ones, and joins us live from her home in Andorra in the Pyrenees to share her experiences today about getting the best from people while operating under acute pressure. Welcome, Cathy O'Dowd. Thank you, Chris. I'm delighted to be joining you. Uh, pleasure, pleasure to have you on the line, Cathy. Um, I wonder if we could start today by maybe just trying to understand, you know, where this desire to climb mountains and take significant risk. I mean, we've also already mentioned the challenges that Nigel faced um, after climbing Mount McKinley uh, and maybe also, you know, this desire to speak as well. I've always been fascinated by wilderness, despite growing up in the suburbs of Johannesburg, uh, you know, on a huge grass plain, which is flat as a pancake. But as a teenager, I went on an adventure camp into, into the Drakensberg, a range of mountains, um, the Dragon Mountains in South Africa, and I loved it. As soon as I got the chance, when I got to university, I joined the rock climbing club, and I found a fascination, a freedom, and a level of very personal challenge in mountains that I hadn't found anywhere else. I loved the fact that it wasn't a win-lose competitive sport. It was very much a personal challenge. I love the fact that it's such a complex mix of a very physical activity, but in fact, it's enormously mental. It's about uh, assessing and managing this environment that, you, that you, you don't have complete control over. And then it's about managing yourself emotionally, physically, mentally within that environment. And that process fascinates me just as much as the physicality uh, of the climbing does. And then I like, I like telling stories. So, I wanted to look at what fascinated me about mountains and take some of those ideas back to people who perfectly understandably didn't fancy trogging up a mountain themselves, but were quite interested in the processes that go into that. So the, both the books and the speaking have come out of that desire to share stories, to bring back stories to people who don't want to go there themselves, but are interested in the experience. Fantastic. I mean, Michelle Clark asked me on Facebook, what drives you? So is that then this sharing of stories? Well, it's what actually drives me is curiosity. And it's, I think it's not what every climber would say. A lot of them are driven by the need to, to conquer or achieve or, or whatever it is. I'm intensely curious about, firstly, what lies out there, what lies on the other side of that mountain over that ridge uh, in the next view. But also, what lies within me if I put myself in a situation where I've never been before? How will I cope? What will I do? What will I discover about myself? And, and how will I learn to cooperate with others to enhance my chances of success? And then the things I discover through that process of challenging myself and seeing what happens are what I then bring back to share with people who might not want to put themselves in quite such extreme setups, but are also seeking answers about what would happen, how do I cope, how do I manage better in these environments. And, you know, that, that's where the stories come from. Wow, that's such an articulate explanation of that, Cathy. Um, you're just making me think right now about uh, the, some of the adventures that I've done, and it's interesting that uh, some people... We're never not interested in the stories and 
didn't want to see the photos, but some were. Um, I imagine with what you've done, probably most people are interested. Is is that the case, or do you still find people who just don't find it exciting at all? It depends how you tell a story. I think all of us will only put up with so much of the here are my 5,000 holiday photographs <laughs> through them one by one. You know, there are limits. You know, you're, perhaps your mother is the one who's going to last longest with that, but even she will have enough eventually. What's in telling stories, you need to find the, the commonality between you and your audience. So when I talk to, for example, upper-level executives, they, they don't know how, want to know how to climb a mountain. That's not their business. It's not their interest. But what we do have in common is how do you get the best out of highly ambitious, very self-confident, very egotistical people who are attempting to cooperate in the face of a big challenge, in a high-risk environment, in a high-stress environment. And that's very much the A-type who's going to be in the high-altitude mountains, and it's the A-type who's likely to be succeeding in business. And that's where the story intersects. So it's about finding that sweet spot between you and your audience and then sharing ideas that matter to both of you, even though you operate in very different environments. Fantastic. That's um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful articulation. So you know, having climbed Everest twice, I'm just interested, you know, how do you find further challenge? Because to many people, you've already achieved the ultimate goal. I think it would be really rather depressing to have achieved an ultimate anything in, in your life because where do you go from there? And I think there are two things about that. Firstly, in climbing terms, uh, what I did on Everest is not an ultimate anything. Uh, you know, it, it's a significant achievement, but there are many climbs that are more difficult than that or that are simply different. But the other thing I think is that it's important how you look at it. And for me... I'm interested in doing something new each time. New to me. It doesn't have to be a world first and never been done before. But it has to be something where I'm going to learn something. I'm going to discover something by taking part. And the liberating thing about looking at it like that is it doesn't have to be more difficult every time. There are climbers who do that, and they do tend eventually to get killed because they just keep on making the challenges more and more dangerous. I just need to change the focus, take the skills I've got and then put them into a new environment so I have to rework them in a different way. And that can be another 8,000-meter expedition like I have next month. Or, frankly, it can be going, going out on skis in my local mountains on the weekend. But still, going somewhere new, finding something new, going out in slightly different conditions. So there is no ultimate challenge, and therefore there is no end. It's a journey that will run through the rest of my life, one way and another. <laughs> but what, what was it? What was it like, though, to to maybe climb Everest for the first time? Well, it was extraordinary, and not just because it was Everest, but because of the way I got into the team. I got brought on at the very last minute as a, a token woman to kind of sex up the media coverage a bit for the sponsors. <laughs> So nobody, including myself, expected me to get anywhere near the top. And I didn't, I didn't think about the top. Um, I thought about doing it a day at a time, a camp at a time. There were times when I was literally doing it five steps at a time. 
And I just kept on going. And, and eventually, lots of ups and downs, literally and metaphorically, but eventually I ran out of mountain. Keeping on going had taken me all the way to the top. And that, that moment of realizing that against all expectation, I'd succeeded, that really was extraordinary. Wow. And, and how, did you, how did you feel when you got there to the top? Well, it's a funny mix. It's not as pure as people would think because unlike a marathon or a race, it's not over. A lot of people sort of stop focusing when they reach the top and then make mistakes on the way down that get them killed. So it's a funny combination of incredulity that you've done it, uh, utter exhaustion, uh, and the huge relief that you can just go downhill from now on. There's no more going up. <laughs> and then intense focus, thinking it's not over, it's not over, it's not over. I must keep concentrating. Um, you know, I have a long way to go still before I can finally say I'm done. I imagine that must be. So I've only got about a minute to commercial break, actually. But I, I imagine that you probably have to be very careful, don't you, when you come down, because you've, it'd be a, you know, a risk that your focus might be diminished because of the stre strenuous nature of getting to the top. I imagine. Absolutely, you have always got to have left something in reserve, and then you've really got to concentrate. So many of us, we destroy our own success by making careless mistakes, whether from complacency or exhaustion or, or lack of focus. Uh, we need to remain literally in the moment, embedded in the experience for the entire time. Fantastic. Well, we're going to go to commercial break now, but we shall talk more with Cathy in a couple of minutes. Thank you. <music> comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you lead a team of any kind, you need to listen to this show. Tune in to Leading with Emotional Intelligence, hosted by Esther Orioli. Esther provides you with the tools and techniques you need to harness the power of EQ to stop setting goals and start changing behaviors in your organization. Get the latest concepts in EQ from a top-of-the-house perspective and have your questions answered on air. Leading with Emotional Intelligence is broadcast live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper.
Hi, this is Chris Cooper again um, with my guest today, Cathy O'Dowd. Uh, we're talking about reaching new heights and we were talking about climbing Mount Everest and Cathy's experiences. Um, so, Cathy, what do you think are the key learnings from all of your expeditions when it comes to business? Big question. I think the most important ideas I can bring to business are about two things are about how you get the best out of uh, highly ambitious, highly able individuals when you're attempting to get them to cooperate with each other rather than compete with each other. The trouble with ambitious people is there's a very strong competitive element in them. But actually to step back from that, underlying that point is the idea that actually the biggest obstacles that you face with any piece of project management are not generally the external environment. On a mountain, storms and avalanches may be the dramatic stuff, but they're very rare. Actually, what destroys most teams, and on Everest, 75% of teams will fail, most teams are destroyed from the inside. For various reasons, the individuals and the team destroy themselves. Uh, or make success impossible. So that's the bad news. But the good news, of course, is that's under your control. The avalanches and the storms and what's happening in the external economy, none of that is actually under your control. But yourself, the way you interact with the people around you and the way you influence the people around you, you can control that, at least to some extent. And I think that's the good news. And what I talk about is ways that you can get your able people to work together as effectively as possible. And that gives you that extra, I don't know, 10% edge that puts you ahead of everybody else who frankly has the same training and is operating in the same environment. Uh, and it's these kind of intangible tools and this understanding of these intangible obstacles that can put you ahead of the competition on whatever your challenge is. Interesting. I, I, I wonder, when you first articulated very beautifully about why you loved mountaineering and this, this you know, being in the mountains, it being a very, a very personal thing, a, a personal challenge, and also mountaineering people are very ambitious. Um, I wonder, like in, in some corporate teams, where I wonder if the, the nature of a mountaineer is to be more individualistic than than teamy uh, and because sometimes you do see the teams like that in organizations is that a, a correct assumption i think it is as a generalization yeah so, so you have to carry on to do these big challenges requires a good deal of self-confidence you know to put yourself up in the face of this kind of risk you have to be able to say this isn't going to happen to me and this is why but with that level of self-confidence and ambition comes you know, a fairly individualistic view of your own ability and your own passions, your own goals. And it can be a little difficult to get those people to then accept that they are probably even stronger, even more able if they will cooperate with each other when their natural instinct is to compete with each other. <laughs> I think I do think the same kind of driven individuals make it high into organizations because it's, in a sense they've got the competitiveness to compete for promotion, but they have the same problem with the downside, 
When everyone's a leader, who's going to make up the team? When everyone's competing, how are you going to cooperate towards a common goal? Uh, that's the challenge. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm also wondering, you you mentioned, or interested to find out, because uh, I got a question from Lisa Blanchard-Pattender relating to this, and you, you describe on your first Everest adventure being the kind of token woman. Uh, did you face gender bias from you know, people around you when you've been mountaineering? I have run into a little of it, not a huge amount. Most good climbers are pretty pragmatic. So in the sense, if you pull your weight and you're good, you're welcome. And it doesn't matter what gender you are and what color you are, what nationality you are. Uh, if you're a good team member, then that's to their advantage. Uh, I've run into sexism a few times. I I've sort of don't climb with those people again. And on the whole, it, it is a welcoming and, and quite an equal environment. And interestingly, in some ways, that experience of being the token woman, the, the men on the team got over that idea faster than I did. I remained terribly self-conscious and worried that, that, that that's how I was being seen, when in fact I wasn't. I was the one who was carrying that piece of baggage. And while I absolutely would say that sexism does exist and there can be some serious problems for women in a work environment, sometimes you need to put that to one side and just get on with doing what you do, doing it well, doing it with passion and conviction to the best of your ability and let that carry you past uh, any of the problems rather than obsessing about whether something is sexist or fair or unjust. Absolutely. Do, do you think... I, I see, certainly see in the, the world of business, you know, a positive change to, to more women in the boardroom. Uh, when you climbed Everest for the first time, do you think, do you think uh, maybe attitudes were, uh, have shifted over the last sort of 10, 20 years? There's certainly a lot more women involved, although it remains a largely male sport. But certainly these days you'd expect every team to be mixed, although they're probably more men than women. Uh, 15 years ago, most team would have been men only. But interestingly, there's been some of the same thing. For the women who were there in the early days, it was often quite exciting to be the only woman in a man's world. It made you feel pretty special and you got a lot of attention. And so those few women didn't always make a particularly welcoming environment for the next generation of women. But I think that's changed as well. There are now so many women doing these things. There are so many great role models available, uh, so many avenues of opportunity uh, that I think it's it's going to now increase in numbers by leaps and bounds year by year. Fantastic, Ed, and that's, that's great news and very positive. I'm very delighted on a Saturday morning to see the best player in my son's football team is a, is a girl. She's absolutely amazing. Uh, she really holds the team together really well. Um, great for her and great for your son as well to see that happening. Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, let's, let's talk about teams then. You've said that people are often the biggest risks when it comes to success. Uh, what are your experiences here? Well, looking at my experiences in the mountains, I, it seemed to me that there were three ways, uh, three issues in which teams ended up basically self-sabotaging because they, they, had, they didn't have a, a coping strategy. 
And the three ideas that struck me as key was that teams almost always underestimate the acute stress of these big projects and therefore have no strategy in place for dealing with stress. And then teams end up falling apart because of screaming fights over whose turn it is to make the coffee or who left the smelly socks next to your pillow of your sleeping bag or um, you know, who's snoring the loudest at three o'clock in the morning. Absolutely ridiculous issues turn into fights. And I have actually seen a fist fight on the side of Everest. But they turn into fights that, that, are, that are meaningless. 24 hours later, everyone's ashamed of how they behave, but it's too late. Things have been said and done that you really can't go back from. So for teams to realize the importance of dealing with stress, to recognize symptoms of acute stress in themselves and in other members of their team, and then to have coping strategies uh, organized beforehand, all of that I think is very useful in making sure you don't lose people for utterly ridiculous reasons. Yes, <clears throat> very minor, limited experience of uh, of trekking and and, and uh, camping and what have you on some of the more adventurous things I've done is, as you say, just the, the tiniest little niggle can just really start to grow. Uh, and when you're doing something like you're doing, I can imagine it must be a really big, big challenge. There's something about just not being able to get away from each other that that exacerbates things until they've grown out of all proportion. Mm. And, and I guess sometimes you see it can be those little niggles in, in corporate teams as well, which can become chasms unless you know they're spoken about and, and dealt with but, it, but at least in a team corporate team you can get away from each other at the end of the day you can but i think this is where it's a, it's a shame that human resources is always slightly looked down upon as a department within a company because these little things can make employees feel bitterly neglected uh feel that it's unjust it's unfair and then they are quietly rebelling. They're not doing the work. They're not doing it to the best of their ability. They're quietly sabotaging. And you can solve a lot of trouble by putting a little more effort into listening to people, making sure they're happy, making sure the little things that are making their lives difficult are, are recognized and dealt with. Yeah, couldn't agree, couldn't agree more. Um, the business climate right now is viewed by many as being really tough. And I know... On your ventures, the actual climate itself throws up significant challenges. I, I said the intro there you, that I made, you'd, you were on the worst, in the worst storm on Everest. Um, for anybody, got about three minutes now, but I, I wonder how do you keep people engaged when things are really, really tough? Well, actually, this feeds into what I'd call the second of what I think are the key obstacles. So again, yes, the external environment is tough, and there's not a great deal you can do about that. Uh, not as an individual, not, I think, as any individual company in the current environment. But one of the problems we run into on the mountain is distinguishing between kind of real fear and irrational fear. Just to explain that, irrational fear is the sense that, uh, oh, this entire slope is going to avalanche and everybody's going to die, which might happen, but is highly unlikely. 
Uh, and then the real fear that says, okay, there's something happening right now, which which means this is a genuinely dangerous place and I need to get out of here. So, I, and the relation to the current market environment, I think it's too easy to buy into the group depression, the group panic about the recession, about how it's never going to get better, about how no strategy seemed to be helping. Whereas if you come back to your particular challenge, your particular market, the things that you do, come back to your people, how do we do this well, how do we do this effectively, how do we streamline, how do we save costs without actually destroying the root of our success, and get on with, with what you can control and what you're good at, you can be remarkably successful in difficult conditions. And you can certainly be more successful than your competitors who are busy panicking in the sight of these difficult conditions. So it's, I think it's about not being overwhelmed by, by, by the fear, by the depression of difficult circumstances and focusing up to what it is that you can actually do here. Fantastic. Just, just really intrigued to, to know, and, and it may, may put things into perspective for people in, in a sort of couple of minutes, what was it like to be in that storm? You still there, Cathy? Uh Yes. Oh, uh, we're talking about the storm now. Yeah, we... yeah. The storm. I'm just interested to know about the couple of minutes with, uh, about the storm that you're in. I've got a couple of minutes left till commercial break. I'm just intrigued to know what it was like. It might put uh, difficult challenges into perspective. Well, it's probably not as dramatic as you might hope because we were trapped at 8,000 meters in our top camp. So on one hand, we're sitting in a life-threatening situation gale force wind, uh, howling snow, wind chill temperatures down at minus 40 and, and falling, and with climbers missing on the mountain. Uh, not anybody we can get to, but, but the psychological impact of knowing that there are people out there battling for their lives, but having no idea where they are. On the other hand, we were sitting in these little tents, which protect you from the wind. They keep you warm relatively. Uh, there's nothing to do. You've just got to sit it out. So it's a funny combination of being pretty scared of what might happen and, frankly, being rather bored with what is actually happening, which is not a lot. <laughs> so it, it's a bizarre experience uh, psychologically. And you, I think the, in some ways the biggest risk is just panicking uh, when there's nothing to do and there's this acute tension all the time that it might go wrong, the tent might tear, you might get hurled out into the storm. And being able to just keep a level head and say, yes, we have a problem, but we don't have a problem right now. Don't let's panic before we have to. You know, don't let's, let's get overdramatic about this. That kind of pragmatism is actually incredibly useful. Fabulous. Well, on, on that note, we're going to move into commercial break. And after the break, we shall have a, have a, a talk about dealing with difficult people. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. How do you feel about the future? Tune in each week for Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. You can be a great leader by learning from the inspiring stories of amazing visionaries who are shaping our future. Everyone deserves to create their own vision and Kate and her guests will share the tools that you need to make it happen. 
Make a weekly visit to the Voice America Business Channel for Visionary Leader, Extraordinary Life, every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Be inspired. Become inspiring. What does a visual workplace mean to you? How does it contribute to operational excellence? And what steps do you take to put it powerfully in place? Listen to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense to find out. Each week, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, shares tools and strategies to help you make the workplace speak at a glance without saying a word. Learn to work safer, faster, better, and at far less cost no matter what business you're in. Tune in to The Visual Workplace every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of bemoreachievemore.com with uh, Kathy O'Dowd. And uh, Kathy, really interested to know what your thoughts are on dealing with you know, difficult people who are, are maybe not making the right contribution or pulling their weight? Well, if there was a perfect answer for this, and I had it, I'd be a lot richer than I am right now. This is one of the perpetual problems on, on any project. And I would answer at two levels, I think. One is to say that I actually don't believe that every person is right for every project. And somehow it's the fault of the leader if if you can't manage to integrate really difficult people. I do think that there are different approaches to projects. There are different kind of people that suit those approaches. And sometimes the best you can do is let somebody go. And sometimes as an individual, if you're deeply unhappy, the best thing you can do is leave. Know yourself, know what you're good at, what environment you want to work in. And if you're in the wrong environment, get out of it. Move on, do something else. And the same goes for climbing. Some people are strongly team climbers like myself. I do better with the support, uh, the help, the motivation of fellow team members. Other people are solo superstars. They're just that good. And they don't like being held back. They are very much sort of, I don't know, the individual entrepreneur in a sense. And as long as they know that about themselves and the people who work with them understand that's how it's going to work, uh, that's fine. So first tip is don't don't be in the wrong position for who you are. Don't have the wrong people for what you need. Then if you're assuming you have basically got the right people but it's not working for you, I I do think um, it's important to understand why it's not working. Often people are squabbling about things that are superficial. They're not actually the underlying issue. They're not what's really wrong. And one talent of a good leader is to see through down into what appears to actually be underlying the unhappiness, the difficulties um, within the group. Uh, I have noticed that uh, that a Frankly, an easy and and very strong tool in dealing with this can simply be recognition. A lot of people are just feeling that they're working very hard and nobody's noticing. 
I think that's particularly true at the moment when people are downsizing. And just taking the time to turn around to people and say, I know your name, I know what you do, and I'm grateful for your contribution. I'm glad to be working with you. That makes a surprising impact, surprisingly big difference for very little effort in a sense. Um, and then another one I think is important is to pick conflict up early on. You can, you can see when things are beginning to go wrong, but it often feels as if there just isn't the time, there's more important stuff to manage. That's a mistake. The sooner you pick up on conflict and start trying to unpick it, the less damage will have been done, the less things will have been said that can't be unsaid. And um, So, so moving, moving early and swiftly with problems, uh, I think, helps enormously. And do you, when you're... You know, when you have a, a team for an expedition, do you have these conversations before you embark on the journey to make sure you kind of have these conditions set to actually talk about things and problems and issues up front and you know, agreements on the way that you'll deal with conflict? Well, I would love to say yes unconditionally, but no. I mean, in some circumstances... <laughs> But climbers are as individual as anybody else and are as likely as anybody to kind of assume, oh, yeah, yeah, that's for other people. We are too strong, too professional, too competent to need to bother about such things. Let's just go climbing. Uh, and it doesn't always work. I mean, sometimes it works, particularly if you've got a group who've worked together before. So in a sense, any conflict has already been worked through. But no, I think climbers are as poor as anybody else at this, and to thinking that, yes, 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 this is all very well, but it doesn't apply to us. This applies to everybody. And I think for absolutely anybody, no matter how good you are, it's time well spent to work through some of this stuff beforehand. Yeah. I can remember a big organization I used to work for, and the, the people in that company that I was recruited into were all very, very ambitious, very driven. It was a wonderful uh, company. Um, and, and if you did team activities and things together, people would actually be f almost fighting to get to do it and to, to whether it's to build something or create something. Uh, and actually what the company started to realize was that actually had to change the mix of people. So they had the, you know, the, the full kind of spectrum of, of personalities and, and characters. Otherwise, you know, you, sometimes you would achieve great things, but sometimes you would also uh, honor uh, gaps, which uh, just weren't, uh, became chasms if they weren't, uh, resolved. So I think sometimes uh, having that, uh, those conversations up front and being very careful about the selection of people is really important. Um, Kathy, what you started to talk about some of your key principles that people often overlook when they're taking on new challenges. And I think you mentioned stress and was it fear? Yes. Um, rational. Yeah. Are, are there any other, uh, principles, or did you want to say any more about those? I think there's a third thing that I think is especially my, my top three for the reasons why teams actually fail on a challenge like Everest. And the third one, oddly enough, is complacency. And this, in, in my experience, is what destroys really good teams. The ones where you look at them and think, well, they're going to succeed. I mean, you know, look at, look at how experienced they are, look how good and tough and, and competent they are. And with that experience comes complacency. Uh, there's no doubt that good people begin to believe their own press. 
they are self-confident, but they begin to think of themselves as invulnerable. And out of that comes mistakes. People start to take shortcuts. People start to forget the endless, meticulous, repetitive little safety procedures that underlie each action we take on the mountain. People start to get, you know, so so impressed by their own reputation that they forget about the basic technical challenge of, of the climbing. And I've seen some extraordinarily competent teams fall apart because of some unbelievably stupid mistakes. And this, I think, is also it's a challenge for any really successful business. You, you know, you're good. You know you're good. So how do you keep yourself being careful, being meticulous, being driven, being hungry for success when you're already successful? Uh, and this sort of self-sabotage simply through carelessness is, I think, is one of the biggest problems that uh, good teams can face. So that's so those small, those gaps, those things that you're taking a shortcut on, but can become your Achilles heel. Okay. Uh, absolutely, and I mean it's not. I'm not saying there's a perfect answer. We're human. It's almost impossible for us not to make mistakes. And the other trouble is that most mistakes we make, we get away with. But when you are the best, or when you're in a very high risk environment, your kind of your margin for error is much much smaller. And those silly mistakes can can catch you up really badly if, if the, the environment you operate in turns against you. Uh, and that's happened so many times in big businesses, hasn't it? I remember Bearings Bank and the kind of rogue trader and you know, th those sorts of things. Sometimes it's been uh, bits of complacency and they've had uh, major, major consequences. So uh, very absolutely you doesn't matter how good you are how long you've been in the business you still have to do it properly with care and attention every single time fantastic i wonder we've got a couple of minutes till we go to commercial break that's only about a minute and a half actually so if we if you don't get the chance to finish it we'll come back to it after the break but i just wondered um what are some of the key tools for maybe dealing with these well again you know most all teams have got ropes and ice axes and crampons and stuff. So, you know, why do 25% succeed, 75% don't? And I think there are a set of kind of intangible tools that go with successful teams. Uh, I'd say that one of them is having a very clear vision of what as a team they're trying to achieve. Uh, a team is more than just a bunch of individuals each pursuing their own ambition. An effective team will be held together by some strong, mutually agreed objective. So my first Everest expedition, we were carrying the, the at that point, very new flag of the new post-apartheid South Africa. And there was a, a strong bond around that, about getting the flag to the top rather than any one individual. And right. that public commitment was an incredibly uh, powerful way of pulling us together, even when things were difficult. Fantastic. We're going to have to go to a commercial break now, but we'll continue in a, in a few moments. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? 
Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper with Cathy O'Dowd. And we're talking about um, we're talking about um, some of the key tools for dealing with stress, complacency, and fear. And Kathy was telling us about um, having a, a strong vision, and I think she was flying the flag for um, post-apartheid Africa. And then we went into commercial break. So uh, over to you, Kathy, to continue your answer. Well, let me just share two more with you uh, out of my, my my sort of my top six. One of them is having the courage to make your own choices. And I've watched this play out both ways on the mountain. I've watched it play out when conditions appear to be good, uh, not perfect, but good enough. And some of the most experienced people on the mountain went rushing off for the summit. Uh, We being less experienced and worried about that the weather wasn't that stable, held back. And we seemed to get it wrong. And these guys got to the top. We're sitting there in our in our sleeping bags, thinking, you know, we we have we have badly mucked this up. But a storm came in within twelve hours, and within twelve hours, we were in that biggest worst storm in the history of Everest. So, in the end, sticking with our own principles, don't climb in unstable weather, turned out to be the right thing to do. And after that storm, we got the other side of that coin: mass panic. Oh my God, people died, terrible storm, go go home, go home. And hang on, we knew this was dangerous. We knew storms were going to happen. This is an overreaction the other way. But there's this kind of group panic and people start going, well, if everyone else is, is, is going home, I, I'd, I'd better go home. And I do think some of that group panic is happening right now in the recession as well. And again, we sat down quietly and said, We survived the storm. We made the right choices. We've still got equipment and ability and strength, and the conditions are looking quite good. Surely this is the time to go climbing, not go home. So making your own choices rather than being influenced by what's being said around you, the crowd wisdom, that's important. And just one more I'd like to highlight is making full use of all the experience and wisdom within your team, particularly the stuff that's less obvious, maybe because people are of a different sex, a different different culture, 
different backgrounds, whatever it is. On Everest, most teams make use of Sherpas physically to carry loads, but so often they overlook the knowledge the Sherpas have about the environment just because these guys are, you know, they've grown up in a mountain village. They've got a poor education. They've probably got broken English. You know, forget the fact that English is probably their fourth language, but, you know, nevertheless, we just look at the broken English and assume that they're actually not very clever. In this environment, in the Himalaya, they are experts in ways that we never will. We need to see past our, frankly, our Western arrogance and look at the incredible depth of knowledge the Sherpas have and, and ask them for it. Get them involved. Have them in on the decision-making and be, you know, listen to them and be seen to listen to them. Too often, we've got the tools we need within our own group of people and we simply don't use it. We don't even notice we've got it. I think that's a really powerful observation for anybody who's leading a team um are you fully utilizing the the knowledge the skills mm -hmm. of that team mm -hmm. uh, there's certainly sometimes you know I've, I've experienced leadership whereby you know the the leader thinks they know best <laughs> and the, the leader who knows best is the one who knows well has chosen a team that contains expertise greater than his or her own no one of us can have all the expertise we need. That's why we work in teams. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I know uh, besides great success, you've experienced some situations that could be perceived as, as failure. I mean, what are your perspectives on how people should view failure if they do not achieve their goals? I do think it's very important to have a strategy for, for the concept of failure because Nobody likes failing, particularly failing publicly. And a lot of people are basically paralyzed by the fear of being seen to fail. But if you want risk failure, you'll never try anything that, you know, that, that's really innovative, innovative. So for me, it's about a journey. And it's about um, tiered goals. So that in any project, I will have a set of different objectives. And I will have certain ones I expect to succeed even if the project as a whole is seen to fail. So that I know just by participating, I will come away from it with, with new knowledge, expanded knowledge. And then in the end, I am more interested in the journey than the outcome. So that even if we don't reach the summit, in, in most of my cases, just by having taken part in that journey, I have learned things. I've expanded my toolbox, my area of knowledge, my ability. And certainly in mountains, the ways in which you fail, the ways in which you deal with the failure, get yourself out of trouble, get yourself safely down again, those can be very important learning experiences. There's a certain satisfaction in getting that right. So a lot of it is about how you view what you're actually trying to achieve. And if you look at it in the long term, if you look at it as an ongoing journey, in which you are constantly adding to your toolbox of confidence, of ability, of knowledge, then any one failure, frankly, it's just, it's just one more happening on that far longer journey. I think a lot of what we do is much too short-term in terms of our focus. And although we certainly need, we need and pursue short-term goals, we need always to keep a long-term focus uh, on top of all of that. And I guess in looking at that failure, thinking what actually, what's the wisdom that I've gained out of it? 
um, maybe that could lead to greater future success, perhaps. Indeed. And in certain cases, the failure is actually coming to realize this thing was too difficult. Now I understand why. This thing is something I don't want to do for myself, which is a very useful piece of knowledge. Now I will go away and do things uh, that I, I genuinely do want to do. Or this is now a strategy that I know doesn't work so I can get on with trying other strategies that are more likely to work. There's a great deal of knowledge to be got out of failure. But as I've noticed, we've got a couple of minutes left uh, until I need to start to summarise. So I really want to find out about your next expeditions in Pakistan and Patagonia. Um, and perhaps you can also tell us if there's a way we can follow your progress. Well, I am four weeks from leaving for my next big expedition. I'm going to Pakistan. We are attempting to climb a new route on a mountain called Nanga Parbat. This is the ninth highest mountain in the world and is generally considered to be the second hardest mountain uh, after K2. Uh, the Mazino Ridge has been attempted a number of times in the last 25 years, 35 years now. Uh, no one has succeeded. So we are putting our hands up to go out there. We think we've got a good strategy. We will need luck with both weather and snow conditions. Uh, but we I'm really excited to be going out there and trying something uh, that has never been done before, to really be trailblazing in the high Himalaya. And people will be able to link through to the expedition website by visiting my personal website, which is kathyodowd.com. Then the second trip is at the end of the year, December through to February next year. This is an epic endurance journey across Chile, crossing the northern Patagonian ice cap, then uh, taking a rowboat, ocean rowboat, up the coast of Chile, 1,500 kilometers up in the Pacific Ocean, and then walking across Chile from the sea all the way to the summit of the highest mountain in the Americas of Aconcagua. This is a four-woman team. Each of us is an expert in one area, either mountains or polar travel or ocean rowing. So we will be swapping between being a leader in a particular section of the journey and being, frankly, a complete novice in other sections. I've never rowed a boat. You know, I like <laughs> water frozen, thank you, mostly. I'm not sure about this whole ocean rowing thing. But that's part of the challenge, both to lead and, you know, as woman to stand up and take the lead, but also to say learning is a journey that never ends. Uh, we're going to go out there as novices as well and learn from each other. Uh, incredible. Incredible. I shall be enjoy um, observing your websites and updates and, and things like that from the, the warmth of my home. <laughs> <laughs> I just um I've got about a minute left but I just wanted to see if you had any final thoughts I also just had a question actually from Tacey Trump asking me how you honored reaching the top of Everest and if you could just maybe quickly finish with that for us yes because I think that's quite an interesting point because the thing really is that the top isn't where the journey ends nor is the top the only piece of the journey that has value Every, every stage, every step, every experience uh, has value, wisdom, joy in being part of it. So I actually think of it, the whole process, as honoring the experience, honoring the environment, and honoring the people who've joined together uh, 
to try and succeed at something within this uh, incredible wilderness environment. So it's not a moment that happens in one place, even a place as significant as the top. Uh, it's an act that is part of every step that you take in this incredible journey. Fabulous, Cathy. It's been incredible talking to you. I've thoroughly enjoyed today. Um, we'll really look forward to uh, seeing your journeys in Pakistan and Patagonia. To Remember to go to www.cathyodowd.com. Um, but Cathy, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's been a great I hope to have you back on again to find out about those adventures. Um, and also just like to say, um, a th- a yeah, so thank you to Cathy. Um, brilliant show. And also just to say on next week's show, we have Max Bolker. Uh, Max is going to um, share. He's uh, a, a author. He's in a, a film, Keeper of the Keys, with uh, people like Jack Canfield uh, and John uh, Gray. And he'll be on our show next week. And I think we'll hear a lot about um, some fascinating concepts about mindset and those sorts of things. So we look forward to that. And please do leave any questions. There'll be information going on my Facebook site at Facebook dot com slash be more achieve more and also on my personal site at which is christy cooper one so please do join us and, and join in the discussion over there kathy o'dowd it's been a wonderful pleasure thank you chris we thank you for listening to be more achieve more please join your host chris cooper again next friday at 8 a.m u.s pacific time on the voice america business channel enjoy your week Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com.